Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brad Constantine. Maybe you knew that already. Anyway, uh, this is going to be a podcast about the Articles of Faith. So I'm going to read a little heading or background information about this first. In 1842, a newspaper editor named John Wentworth asked the Prophet Joseph Smith about the history and beliefs of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The Prophet wrote a letter to him explaining the rise, progress, persecution, and faith of the Latter-day Saints. He included 13 short statements about some of the Church's doctrines and beliefs. These statements became known as the Articles of Faith and were accepted as Scripture during the October 1880 General Conference. Of the Articles of Faith, L. Tom Perry, member of the Quorum of the Twelve, said, They contain direct and simple statements of the principles of our religion, and they constitute strong evidence of the divine inspiration that rested upon the Prophet Joseph Smith. I encourage each of you to study the Articles of Faith and the doctrines they teach. If you will use them as a guide to direct your studies of the Savior's doctrine, you will find yourself prepared to declare your witness of the restored true Church of the Lord. You'll be able to find yourself prepared to declare your witness of the restored Church of the Lord. You'll be able to declare with conviction, we believe these things. The Prophet Joseph Smith was occasionally called on to explain the teachings and practices of Mormonism to outsiders. In the spring of 1842, John Wentworth, editor of the Chicago Democrat, asked Joseph to provide him with with a sketch of the rise, progress, and persecution and faith of the Latter-day Saints. Joseph complied with this request and sent Wentworth a multi-page document containing an account of many of the early events in the history of the Restoration, including the first vision and the coming forth of the Book of Mormon. The document also contained 13 statements. In 1851, the Articles of Faith were included in the first edition of the Pearl of Great Price, which was published in the British Mission. After the Pearl of Great Price was revised in 1878 and canonized in 1880, the Articles of Faith became official doctrine of the Church. L. Tom Perry also said, What a great blessing it would be if every member of the Church memorized the Articles of Faith and became knowledgeable about the principles contained in each. We would be better prepared to share the gospel with others. The Articles of Faith declare comprehensively and concisely the essential doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They contain direct and simple statements of the principles of our religion, and they constitute strong evidence of the divine inspiration that rested upon the prophet Joseph Smith. I think I said that. Okay. Let's get started here. Verse 1, we believe in God the Eternal Father and in his Son Jesus Christ and in the Holy Ghost. Elder Dallin Oaks said, a member, uh, then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve said, In common with the rest of Christianity, we believe in a Godhead of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. However, we testify that these three members of the Godhead are three separate and distinct beings. We also testify that God the Father is not just a spirit, but is a glorified person with a tangible body, as is his resurrected Son, Jesus Christ. Joseph Smith said, Everlasting covenant was made between three personages between before the organization of this earth and relates to their dispensation of things to, to uh, on the earth. These personages, according to Abraham's record, are called God the first, the creator, God the second, the redeemer, and God the third, the witness or testator. God the Father. God the Father is a holy man. He is Amon, the, the almighty Elohim. Elohim is the father of spirits. The father is the creator. The father is the author of the plan of salvation. 
Joseph Smith said, If the veil were rent today and the great God who holds this world in its orbit and who upholds all worlds and all things by his power was to make himself visible, I say, if you were to see him today, you would see him like a man in form, like yourselves, in all the person, image, and very form as a man. For Adam was created in the very fashion, image, and likeness of God and received instruction from and, and walked, talked, and conversed with him as one man talks and communes with another. Oh, how great the importance to make these things known unto all men so that they no longer worship gods of their own creating. It is the first principle of the gospel to know for a certainty the character of God and to know that we may converse with him as one man converses with another, and that he was once a man like us. Yea, that God himself, the Father of us all, dwelt on an earth the same as Jesus Christ himself did. The Father is a glorified, perfected, resurrected, exalted man who worked out his salvation by obedience to the same laws he had has given to us so that we may do the same. Jesus Christ, he is the firstborn, he is the creator, he is the promised Messiah, he is the God of our fathers, he is the Son of God, he is our Redeemer, Savior, Mediator, Intercessor, and Advocate. He manifests and reveals the Father. He is the Eternal Judge, he is the Father. The Holy Ghost, he is a personage of spirit, he is, a, he is the testator, revelator, comforter, he uses the light of Christ in his ministry. These three constitute the Godhead and are one, the Father and the Son, possessing the same mind, the same wisdom, glory, power, and fullness of the mind, glory, and power, or in other words, the spirit, glory, and power of the Father, possessing all knowledge and glory and the same kingdom, sitting at the right hand of power in the express image and likeness of the Father, mediator for man, being filled with the fullness of the mind of the Father, or in other words, the spirit of the Father, which spirit is shed forth upon all who believe on his name and keep his commandments. That was by Joseph Smith in the Lectures on Faith. <clears throat> okay, article number two, verse two. We believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Elder Faust said, Because of their transgression, Adam and Eve, having chosen to leave their state of innocence, were banished or cast out from the presence of God. This is referred to in Christendom as the fall or Adam's transgression. It is a spiritual death because Adam and Eve were separated from the presence of God. All of their posterity were likewise banished from the presence of God. However, the posterity of Adam and Eve were innocent of the original sin, partaking of the forbidden fruit, because they had no part in it. It was therefore unfair for all of humanity to suffer eternally for the transgressions of our first parents, Adam and Eve. It became necessary to settle this justice, hence the need for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus in his role as the Savior and Redeemer. The three greatest events that ever occurred or ever will occur in all eternity are these, the creation of the heavens and the earth, of man and of all forms of life, two, the fall of man, of all forms of life and of the earth itself, from their primeval and paradisiacal state to their present mortal state, and three, the infinite and eternal atonement which ransoms man, all living things, and the earth also from their fallen state, so that the salvation of the earth and of all living things may be completed. These three divine events, the three pillars of eternity, are inseparably woven together into one grand tapestry known as the eternal plan of salvation. Had there been no fall, there could have been no atonement. Had the and if the earth had, and man had, and all living things had not been created in their physical and paradisiacal state, in a state of deathlessness, there could have been no fall. Now, as I'm going through some of this, remember that there's a couple of really good books about the um, Articles of Faith, one written by James E. Talmadge, simply called The Articles of Faith, and then one by Bruce R. McConkie called A Witness of the Articles of Faith. So, since there's a lot of stuff in those, uh, that's a good source to look for if you want more information.
The Bible Dictionary states regarding the fall of Adam and Eve, the process by which mankind became mortal on this earth. The event is recorded in Genesis 2 through 4 and Moses 3 through 4. The fall of Adam and Eve is one of the most important occurrences in the history of, of man. Before the fall, there were, there were no sin, no death, and no children. With the eating of the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve became mortal, sin entered, and death became a part of life. Adam became the first flesh upon the earth, meaning that he and Eve were the first to become mortal. After Adam fell, the whole creation fell and became mortal. Adam's fall brought both physical and spiritual death into the world upon all mankind. The fall was no surprise to the Lord. It was a necessary step in the progress of man, and provisions for a Savior had been made even before the fall had occurred. Jesus Christ came to atone for the fall of Adam and also for man's individual sins. Latter-day Revelation supports the biblical account of the fall, showing that it was a historical event that literally occurred in the history of man. Many points in Latter-day Revelation are also clarified that are not discernible from the Bible. Among other things, it makes clear that the fall is a blessing and that Adam and Eve should be honored in their station as the first parents of the earth. Okay, Article of Faith number 3. We believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Elder Dallin Oaks taught, Our Savior has redeemed us from the sin of Adam. But what about the effects of our own sins? Since we all have sinned, we are all spiritually dead. Again, our only hope for life is our Savior, who the prophet Lehi taught, offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law. In order to lay claim upon our Savior's life, giving triumph over the spiritual death we suffer because of our own sins, we must follow the conditions he has prescribed. Our third article of faith describes the Savior's conditions. From the Bible dictionary we read regarding the atonement, the word describes the setting at one of those who have been estranged and denotes the reconciliation of man to God. Sin is the cause of the estrangement, and therefore the purpose of atonement is to correct or overcome the consequences of sin. From the time of Adam to the death of Jesus Christ, true believers were instructed to offer animal sacrifices to the Lord. These sacrifices were symbolic of the forthcoming death of Jesus Christ and were done by faith in him. Jesus Christ, as the only begotten Son of God and the only sinless person to live on this earth, was the only one capable of making an atonement for mankind. By his selection and foreordination in the Grand Council before the world was formed, his divine sonship, his sinless life, the shedding of his blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, his death on the cross and subsequent bodily resurrection from the grave, he made a perfect atonement for all mankind. All are covered unconditionally as pertaining to the fall of Adam. Hence, all shall rise from the dead with immortal bodies because of Jesus' atonement. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, and all little children are innocent at birth. The atonement is conditional, however, so far as each person's individual sins are concerned, and touches every one to the degree that he has faith in Jesus Christ, repents of his sins, and obeys the gospel. The services of the Day of Atonement foreshadowed the atoning work of Christ. The scriptures point out that no law, ordinance, or sacrifice would be satisfactory if it were not for the atonement of Jesus Christ. Sin is lawlessness. It is a refusal on men's part to submit to the law of God. By transgression, man loses control over his own will and becomes the slave of sin, and so incurs the penalty of spiritual death, which is alienation from God. The atonement of Jesus Christ redeems all mankind from the fall of Adam and causes all to be answerable for their own manner of life. This means of, this means of atonement is provided by the Father and is offered in the life and person of his Son, Jesus Christ. 
All right, article number four. We believe that the first principles and ordinances of the gospel are, first, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, second, repentance, third, baptism by immersion for the remission of sins, fourth, laying on of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Edward, uh, I'm sorry, Elder Howard W. Hunter said, these four principles and ordinances of Article of Faith number four are only the first of all the principles and ordinances of the gospel. Returning to the words of the Savior to the Nephites, we learn that after complying with these four, there must be a lifetime of compliance with the laws and commandments of the Lord. For he said, And if he endureth to the end, behold, him will I hold guiltless before my Father at the, last, at the day when I shall stand to judge the world. The first principles alone are not sufficient. Man is thereafter accountable in the eternal judgment for what he has done in life, whether good or evil. All right, number five. We believe that a man must be called of God by prophecy and by the laying on of hands by those who are in authority to preach the gospel and administer in the ordinances thereof. Gordon B. Hinckley said, The right to nominate members to callings within the church rests with the superior officer or officers at whatever the level, but that nomination must be sustained, that is, accepted and confirmed by the membership of the church. The procedure is peculiar to the Lord's church. There is no seeking for office, no jockeying for position, no campaigning to promote one's virtues. Contrast the Lord's way with the way of the world. The Lord's way is quiet. It is a way of peace. It is without fanfare or monetary costs. It is without egotism or vanity or ambition. Under the Lord's plan, those who have responsibility to select officers are governed by one overriding question. Whom would the Lord have? There is quiet and thoughtful deliberation, and there is much of prayer to receive the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that the choice is correct. Article of Faith number six. Can you remember this one? We believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. Elder David B. Haight said, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints proclaims to the world that this church is a restoration of Christ's church. A restoration was necessary because prophets and apostles, who were the foundation of the Lord's original church, were put to death or others or otherwise taken. The church today is built on a foundation of prophets and apostles with Jesus Christ at its chief cornerstone. It is therefore not a reformation, a revision, a reorganization, or a mere sect. It is the Church of Jesus Christ restored in these latter days. Article of Faith number 7. We believe in the gift of tongues, prophecy, revelation, visions, healing, interpretation of tongues, and so forth. Elder, Elder Dallin Oaks said, In a priesthood blessing, a servant of the Lord exercises the priesthood as moved upon by the Holy Ghost to call upon the powers of heaven for the benefit of the person being blessed, such blessings are confirmed are conferred by holders of the Melchizedek priesthood, which has the keys of all the spiritual blessings of the church. There are many kinds of priesthood blessings. As I, as I give various examples, please remember that priesthood blessings are available for all who need them, but they are only given on request. Persons desiring guidance in an important decision can receive a priesthood blessing. Persons who need extra spiritual power to overcome a personal challenge can receive a blessing. Expectant mothers can be blessed before they give birth. Many LDS families remember a sacred occasion when a worthy father gave a priesthood blessing to a son or daughter who was about to be married. Priesthood blessings are often requested from fathers before ch children leave home for other purposes, such as school, service in the military, or a long trip. 
Blessings given in circumstances such as I have just described are sometimes called blessings of comfort or counsel. They are usually given by fathers or husbands or other elders in the family. They can be recorded and kept in family records for the personal spiritual guidance of the persons blessed. Uh, that's something that we've always tried to do in our family is that when we give blessings, especially baby blessings, that sort of thing, that we record them and put them in their books. Uh, Article of Faith number eight. We believe the Bible to be the Word of God. As far as it is translated correctly, we also believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. President Hinckley said, I thank the Almighty for my I thank the Almighty for my testimony of the Book of Mormon, this wonderful companion to the Holy, Holy Bible. The test of the book is in its reading. I speak as one who has read it again and again and tasted of its beauty and depth and power. Could Joseph Smith, I ask you, the young man reared in rural, rural New York, largely without schooling, have dictated in so short a time a volume so complex in its nature and yet so harmonious in its whole, with so large a cast of characters and so extensive in its scope, could he of his own abilities have created the language, the thought, the moving inspiration that has caused millions over the earth to read and say, it is true. I know that it's true because I've studied it too and prayed about it. Verse nine, or number nine, we believe all that God has revealed, all that he does now reveal, and we believe that he will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Well, you can see that that's happening today, huh? In great haste. Uh, Elder Haight said, uh, a distinguishing feature of the church is the claim to continuous revelation from the Lord. Today, the Lord's church is guided by the same relationship with deity that existed in previous dispensations. This claim is not made lightly. I know there is revelation as I am a witness to sacred things also experienced by others who administer his work. The principle of revelation by the Holy Ghost is a fundamental principle of the Lord's church. Prophets of God receive revelation by this process. Individual members of the church may also receive revelation to confirm truth. Article of Faith number 10. We believe in the literal gathering of Israel and in the restoration of the ten tribes that Zion, the new Jerusalem, will be, will be built upon the American continent, that Christ will reign personally upon the earth, and that the earth will, will, will be renewed and receive its paradisiacal glory. President Kimball taught, Now the gathering of Israel consists of joining the true church and their coming to a knowledge of the true God. Any person, therefore, who has accepted the restored gospel and who now seeks to worship the Lord in his own tongue and with the saints and the nations where he lives, has complied with the law of the gathering of Israel and is heir to all of the blessings promised the saints in these last days. George Albert Smith, then a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, said, God has said, If we will honor him and keep his commandments, if we will observe his laws, he will fight our battles and destroy the wicked, and this earth upon which we dwell will be the celestial kingdom. Alrighty, number 11, article of faith number 11. We claim the privilege of worshiping Almighty God according to the dictates of our own conscience and allow all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. Elder McConkie said, we believe, in, we believe in, sustain, uphold, support, and advocate freedom of worship for all men, and we are bold to declare that any government, political system, church, sect, cult, or group of worshipers that either denies men the freedom to worship as they choose or imposes on them a system or way of worship by force is not of God. Number 12. As I'm going through these, uh, because you've memorized them, do you, do you know what I'm going to say before I say it? Number 12, we believe in being subject to kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates in obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. 
Elder L. Tom Perry said, All members of the church should be committed to obeying and honoring the law, the laws of the land in which they live. We should be exemplary in our obedience to the governments that govern us. The church, to be of service to the nations of the world, must be a wholesome influence in the lives of individuals who embrace it in temporal as well as spiritual affairs. And number 13, our longest one, and the one that most kids recite um, when they turn 12, up at the pulpit, verse 13, We believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and in doing good to all men. Indeed, we may say that we follow the admonition of Paul. We believe all things, we hope all things, we have endured many things, and hope to be able to endure all things. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. President Hinckley counseled, We live in a time when the world considers virtue lightly. Be clean. Watch what you read. No good and much harm can come of reading pornographic magazines or other such literature. They will only stimulate within your thought, within you thoughts that will weaken your discipline of yourself. No good will come of going to movies that are designed to take you from your money and give you, in exchange, only weakened wills and base desires. Uh, so this uh, Articles of Faith was written by Joseph Smith. I bear testimony that these things are true, that these are the doctrines and the principles that we adhere to as Latter-day Saints. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.